Hello and uh, good afternoon to everyone who's joined us for the tr transitioning into the Early Adulthood Seminar. I'm Pastor Adrian Chan, and the District Mentor for the Westview Horizon District. And we welcome you to join us this afternoon as we contribute towards this thinking and also to uh, journey with one another into the early adulthood. Last, uh, last week, we uh, had an activity when we asked different ones, uh, what is, uh, yeah, what's one word that they would, they would uh, use to uh, describe, to describe um, entering into the early adulthood. And we have very, very interesting contribution from uh, different ones. Uh, in particular, the aspect of uh, responsibility, responsibilities, turbulence, as well as a sense of excitement uh, was how many people felt about joining uh, into this phase of their life called the early adulthood. Interestingly, one, some of them actually said lao, meaning old. Yeah, old, they're feeling that getting old as they enter into the early, early adulthood. And so this uh, uh, afternoon in our second seminar, uh, second part of the seminar series, we continue to explore um, into the early adulthood. Uh, what are we going to have today? Well, uh, we, we are going to uh, begin, uh, of course, with the, uh, another welcome activity to draw uh, insights from all of you then followed by a time of uh, coming before the Lord. And then we will have the seminar with uh, interactions, Q&A. And finally, for those of you from uh, Covenant Groups, you will join your small groups. And for the rest, uh, stay on and we'll have an open group where we will dialogue with you. Last week, I had a chance to dialogue with uh, different ones, um, including one actually who dialed in from India. Hannah is actually there again today. And uh, I look forward to different ones from uh, different nations uh, dialing in uh, even for this seminar. So wonderful, so wonderful. Uh, yeah, so now I want to um, really draw upon your wisdom, all right? And uh, this activity, could you um, now just go, um, yeah, answer in the Zoom poll. Okay, we're going to have a Zoom poll and just for a short while. Um, the question is, how positive or negative do you think young people feel uh, regarding you know what's coming up in the next few months right from now or maybe for the next six months or so um how do you feel about it you know are you feeling positive are you feeling negative and or in general how do the young people around you feel about the next uh, few months yeah let's get a sense on the ground all right In a platform like this, we hope uh, to draw uh, inputs from you so that we get a better sense of how uh, different ones are actually uh, feeling, right? So uh, we encourage you to contribute your thoughts so that we get a sense as we go on uh, in, th in this community. There's a couple more. Okay, it does look like uh, generally, uh, most people feel fairly positive, right? Not exactly very positive, uh, only uh, one. Um, generally, most feel fairly positive and uh, quite a number are neutral and some are also feeling a little negative about the situation. 
And this is, I mean, when we recognize, well, we recognize that there are some difficulties, uh, um, yeah, and some pains and losses uh, during this COVID period, we do want to support one another uh, in going through this period with Christian, Christian attitudes and uh, good Christian um, sense of emotion as we go through this COVID period. So please continue to join us in our young, uh, this early adult activities as we seek to support one another through this period of the pandemic. Right now, we want to uh, give thanks to the Lord, indeed, uh, who continues to strengthen us, whatever the circumstance, and we have a God who is with us. Praise the Lord. So let us now come before the Lord as we worship Him. Good afternoon, everyone. So good to see all of you again. Thanks for joining in. Yeah, I think as a young person, I'm also not sure what the next few months are going to look like and it's quite scary sometimes to think about it. But yeah, I think God is a good God. God is a God who's sovereign. God is a God who's faithful. A God who is with us. A God who, is, who will never leave nor forsake us. And even though we don't see what's ahead of us. God's with us and God sees. Yeah. So let's just take this time to just enter our hearts before the Lord and just uh, give thanks to Him and proclaim His goodness. There is strength within the sorrow There is beauty in our tears us in the morning with a love that casts out fear you are working in the waiting you're sanctifying Beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper, you have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood, you're faithful forever. Perfect in love, you are sovereign. You are wisdom. You are wisdom unimagined. Who could understand your Raining high above the heavens, reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly, compassionate and kind. 
You are a good God. You are God who never leaves nor forsakes us, and you are sovereign, reigning high above the heavens, and reaching down in endless grace. We give you thanks. May you prepare our hearts for the evening ahead, for the afternoon ahead. That you will be with us. You speak to us in your sovereignty, in your grace. In Jesus' name. Alright, alright, alright. Just before I hand over myself to the speaker, it gives me a great honour to introduce him once again. For those who uh, weren't here last week, Pastor King Yao is our lay pastor for the past four to five years and has been uh, serving as a district judge for for how long? 13 years, yes. <laughs> Wait, uh, let me just switch the slide. 
so that you can see his uh, beautiful family. Family uh, here is uh, with uh, Brian, uh, his son, and uh, Karen, the wife, and Cl Clarissa, the daughter. And last week, I introduced him as saying that uh, he's a Liverpool fan. Uh, <laughs> this week, uh, Liverpool's still the best team, by the way. But anyway, uh, this week, I thought I would do something different. He taught me a new word last uh, before we, as we were preparing for this uh, this. Uh, conference and the word is okay maybe it's not a word it's a it's a it's a saying like it's a slang it's called omo so just a quick question uh just to ask you guys uh what what do you think omo means is it uh you can type in the chat and say what you think omo is uh? any any takers omo so so uh is it uh one more one more orange or something or is it you know the young people like say omo 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 like uh, it's quite cute like that yeah and uh, apparently it means one man operation so <laughs> i'm not sure how many of you all know that uh but for me that was the first time hearing it so when uh just a, a, a word of advice for the young people who are going up to the marketplace right don't don't anyhow say omo. People, you think you're cute, but people think you're saying something else. <laughs> so, yeah. With, without further ado, let, uh, let's put our hands together, uh, send some clapping emojis, and let's uh, welcome our speaker for today, Pastor King Yao. Yes. Okay, hi everybody. It's good to be back with you again. I'm trying to do my screen sharing. Um, let's see, host this enabled participants screen sharing. I think I need to be made co-host. Okay. Okay, while we're waiting for that, um, yeah, OMO, these are things that review your age, you know, only those above a certain age will know it. Just in case you're wondering what that means, I uh, used to be put on, in a uh, long time ago in the buses that we ride in, uh, we used their bus conductors, bus conductors who collect money. So at some point, they decided to do away with that. So they had to put signs on the front of buses to say OMO, so you're supposed to get your coins ready. As you bought the bus, you're supposed to pay. Okay, so of course that system has lasted to now. Of course now you don't pay with coins. Now you pay in a different way. So OMO means one man operation. Yep, that's what it is. Okay, I think you can see my first slide now. Now, <laughs> last week I shared with you some of my uh, experiences when I was around your age, which was yes, admittedly a long time ago, decades ago. Um, about struggling with um, surrendering, struggling with letting go, struggling with holding what I have with an open hand before the Lord. As I was in the course of the week, I was trying to recall what are some other memorable experiences I have in the course of uh, transitioning into adulthood that I might be able to share with you. And one came to mind, one something to do with this picture that you see before you right now. It was during my army days. Army days, we were in Brunei then, I was an officer cadet in officer cadet school. So I, it was in Brunei then and I was tasked to lead the platoon in a particular mission. So I had to lead the, the, the platoon to go from one point to another point quite many kilometers away. So I was given the map grid reference, MGR, map grid reference of where we were then, given the map grid reference of where we are, we are supposed to be. 
Okay, so I was supposed to lead the entire platoon through those many kilometers to get to that location. What do you do then when you have an assignment like this? Okay, so first you get hold of the map and then you plot where you are on the map, you plot where you're supposed to go, your destination, right? And then you plot, you get the bearings, what, 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 what bearings you're supposed to go at. See, some things about the jungle you must understand. The jungle is very different from our environment here. In the jungle, there are no landmarks. You walk around, everywhere is the same. Vegetation is very dense. It used to be said that, and I, think, I didn't quite believe this before we went there. It used to be said that at night, you stretch out your hand like this, you can't see your hand. I didn't, wasn't sure that's really true, but when I was there, I did that and it's true. It's so dense, the, the, the foliage is so thick that you stretch out your hand and you really cannot see your hand. So no landmarks, no clearly defined paths as well. Yeah, there are jungle trails here and there. It's a bit like this. Huh? If you were to go from Topayo to Tampines, for example, right? can you go, how do you go about going from Tampines to, to uh, Topayo to Tampines? Yeah, you can kind of, uh, you know the way the roads are, you walk beside the PIE, not on the PIE, of course. You walk beside the PIE, uh, you can pretty much take you in the right to, to Tampines, of course, if you walk in the right direction. Can pretty much take you there. Along the way, there are landmarks, you can see this building, you can see there, you, you get an idea of where you are. But in the jungle, no such thing. So what are you dependent on then? You're dependent on your map to set your, the, to the bearings. And then after that, you're de you are dependent on a compass. You set your bearings on a compass. Like for example, if you are supposed to head due west, then you set your compass to 270 degrees. Then you point your compass 270 degrees and you try and go along that direction as far as possible, as much as possible. Just keep on going in that direction. So you have to do that. Just keep on going. As, as along the way, there may be little trails here and there to your right, to your left, that seem to head in different directions. They may even be quite nice trails sometimes. Amazing, right? In the jungle, there can be, uh, sometimes there can be nicely marked trails. They may be nicely marked trails, they may be going downhill, easy to walk, but it may not be in the direction that I want to go. So sometimes the direction I want to go, the, com the direction the compass tells me to go, you may even have to bash through vegetation. You have to take out your parang and then you have the best two things. Some of you may, may know what I'm talking about. It may be familiar to you. So <laughs> this turned out to be a bit of a moment of glory for me. <laughs> uh, not many, there are not many, but this turned out to be a moment of glory for me. So we, from, from, as we are approaching it after many, many kilometers, uh, you can't see it coming, right? Because you can't see it that far. But when we reached the river, it was, the end point was supposed to be a certain distinctive bend in the river. When we reached the river and we saw that bend in front of us, my, my, even my instructors were amazed. Soon, soon, you know, accurate, so accurate. You know, immediately, we, we, we walked right directly to, right to that, that bend. So, wow, it worked. It actually happened. It actually worked. <laughs> what I did succeeded, so to speak. And I learned a couple of lessons from here, two lessons in particular. One, I learned what it means along the way to trust your compass. I learned what it means that even if there are nice trails here and there, if it's not in the direction that I'm supposed to go to, I gotta be able to ignore them. I gotta be able to see, yeah, maybe there might be a trail that kind of goes in the right direction. It may not exactly go in the right direction, but I can see it bending. Okay, fine, go on that trail then. I see another trail, it may go in, uh, to, my, to my right, to my left, it's gonna go in a completely different direction. No matter how nice the trail is, forget it. It's not going to be, it's not going to take me where I want to go. It's, it's going to derail me from my objective and my destination. So one first lesson I learned is I got to be able to trust my compass, follow along the compass faithfully, even loyally. Second thing I learned, 
how important it is right at the start to identify the destination correctly. If I use the wrong map grip reference, identify the destination wrongly, no amount of following the compass is ever going to get you there, right? And I must identify that objective correctly on the map. I must be able to plot and set the course 270 degrees due west, set the course correctly, do my calculation correctly. I'm oversimplifying here, but you've got to do some calculation to make sure that you set your course correctly. Ah, that's something that I, I learned how important it is right at the start of the journey to set the course correctly. Nobody goes into the jungle to, okay, let's take a walk, let's see how things go. Nobody does that. Jungle will swallow you up, you know. You never live to come out, you know. This is the jungle we're talking about. Give it some respect. So I learned how important these two things are. My friends, you are going into a jungle. There's a sense in which as you transition into adulthood, you're heading for a jungle. You're heading for where yeah, the, the, the things that you may have relied on, the, mark, the landmarks that you may have relied on, may not be that obvious anymore. The trails, the paths, the, even the railway tracks that you may have been on may not be there for you anymore. And you've, come, you've, you've, you've got to come to learn to rely on various things, go by various things, trust various other things. You come to, no, all of you have, have grown up in this world. This, and the sense in which this world is not something foreign to you. In fact, your generation has far more exposure to the things of the world outside your home than my generation because of the internet. You grew up in the internet, you're so exposed to so many other different, so many different thoughts, thinkings, uh, ideologies, philosophies, practices. You're, you're so exposed to those things. But as you go into adulthood, as you enter into working life especially, you encounter some things differently. And you come face to face with a number of things that you really may not have come face to face with. So in that sense, it's like you're stepping into unfamiliar territory. It's a bit like this. You, you have the world on one side and you have the kingdom of God on one side. And you know that the, king, the world that we are in is not always a hospitable place for your faith, for a kingdom. Not always. Sometimes they seem to conflict. And, uh, and, and you, you, can, you may even have experienced this already. You are going to experience this even more. The world's values are not kingdom's values. What Christ requires of us may not always fit in this world. It may seem like very different things. Of course, we wish we can keep the two apart. Monday to Friday, go by the world's values, go by the world's ways. Saturday, Sunday, okay, we have church activities. We go to church. Okay, hopefully we can go to church again soon. But then, okay, that's where we switch on our church mode. We put on our church, church uh, garment and, 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 become, uh, and, and become like a Christian. And Sunday night, Monday morning, okay, change again. Sometimes we almost, almost wish we can do it that way. But we know it's never supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be able to integrate faith into our world and live them apart. And it gets very complicated. So you're transitioning into this. What do you need? Might the two lessons that I learned be important for us as we make this transition? Of course, right through life, some of these things are important. Things we have talked about so far, having, acknowledging Him as our master. Right through life, that's important. It's important to be able to hold on to the compass, keep your, your bearing every few steps. Literally, when I was in the jungle, every few steps, look at the compass again. Make sure I'm on. Dare, dare not trust your own instincts. In the jungle, you cannot trust your own instincts. 
So every few steps, you have to try to keep a compass. Every few steps, every part of the way, have to remind ourselves, yes, am I walking in the way? That's needed. But when you are transitioning into adulthood, what is needed at this stage? You need to identify your, your destination clearly. You need to set your objective and make that clear. And after you've done that, begin to plot your bearings. Begin to calculate your bearings, how to get there. Bearings are important, right? It's a bit like foundations I talked about last time. Wrong foundations, bad foundations, poorly constructed foundations, doesn't matter how nice your building is. If you set your bearings wrongly, doesn't matter how closely you follow your bearings, it'll only get you to the wrong place, maybe more quickly. How important it is to set our, to be clear about what our destination is and then set the bearings correctly. After that, it's a question of following it faithfully. But right at this stage now, most important thing, identify your destination clearly, get your bearings right. That's the most important thing right now. And that's what I think this webinar is all about, these three sessions. That's what it's all about. But how do I approach this, this seminar, this webinar? Some of you may have heard, we actually can travel to Brunei, right? In a couple of months. Brunei and New Zealand. I don't know whether you're thinking of going to Brunei or not. But in case, in case some of you are thinking, okay, good, we're going to Brunei in December. And we're going to for a, maybe a nice stroll in the jungle, you know, go and walk about in the jungle. And if, I, if, if that came to my hearing and with my experience, what would I do? I'll tell you, no, no, no. You don't go there just for a nice stroll. Yes, go there by all means. But go with a map, go with a compass, go plot your destination first, go plot your bearing, go and I will tell you all these kind of things because I want it to be well with you. Now, what if I, and in this webinar, where we think about transitioning into adulthood, I ask myself this, if I, if I truly love you guys, if I look upon you guys as like I would look upon my own kids, truly love you guys, what would I say to you? If I wanted things to be well with you, but what would I say to you? I would say this to you. Get your destination right. Fix your bearings. And identify your destination. Chart your course. And then after that, continue in faithfulness along the course that you have set. This, this seminar is never going to answer all the practical questions that you have. Um, we, we try, we try to answer some of them, but it's not intended to. Along the way, as you, as you journey into, into the jungle, there'll be many, many questions. Uh, should, you, should you this, should you that, and so on. That may, that, may be, that may call for different conversations, different kinds of conversations. The aim today, the aim in these three sessions is really just to help you identify the destination and plot your bearings, get your, pairing, get your initial calculation of your bearings right so that you can launch out into the jungle. Irreducible minimum, so to speak. Plant some key guideposts. Set some basic parameters, enough for you to be clear so that you can head out. Okay, so this is... Hmm, okay, it doesn't seem to work. Ah, okay. So three fundamental convictions. These are things that I, I, I feel are important for us to bear in mind as destination as well as the bearing that we are to take. One master in this world, one mindset towards this world, one mandate concerning this world. Today, of course, we are here, one mindset towards this world. 
And today, this is what I'm going to cover. I'm going to cover first three questions that we may have, three sessions, three quick questions that we, we cover in these three team talks. And two options as to how to live in this world. And what's that one mindset that's needed, the fundamental conviction that I am going to tell, uh, suggest to you is needed to, for today's session. Okay? So first of all, three questions. First question is this, who or what is to have ultimate authority over me? Who or what is to have ultimate authority over me? Is it me? Am I the one to have ultimate authority over myself? Some weeks back, you may have come across this, this, this one video that went viral, right? Um, a lady in, uh, near a hawker center, she was being confronted about not wearing a mask. And she responded with three words. What were those three words? If I get you to type in the, three, in, in the chat, you probably would be able to tell me. She responded saying, I'm a sovereign. And the person who was responding to that says, that doesn't even make sense. I could, I could hear that in the video. Some of you may have heard that too. I'm a sovereign. It doesn't make sense. Is, it, could we possibly be sovereign? Last I checked, we don't have a king in this country. That's, at least our, our constitution doesn't say so. Is it possible to refuse to be subject to an authority over us? Not just a legal authority, other forms of authorities as well. I mean, we all are subject to, to laws. We all are subject to aspects of our culture. We come under that. No way of trying to exert your independence is ever going to take you out of some of these things. So in many ways, we are not the masters of our own destiny. We don't have, we can't look to ourselves to be the ultimate authority over ourselves. What about this world then? Is it this world that is to have ultimate authority over me? I talked about the jungle just now. It's, it's, it, the jungle you're going to as opposed to the kingdom of God. And, and we talked about how they're two different worlds. When they conflict, not if they conflict, when they conflict, this world and the kingdom of God. Who is going to govern your life? What is going to govern your life? Will you come under the dictates of this world? Will you be the master of your own destiny? Or will you choose to come under his lordship? I mentioned how you, in, the, in the course of going through a jungle, you can't see the destination ahead of you. Along the way, there'll be many paths, many paths that are calling to you and say, come, come, take me, take me. It's like temptations in our lives, right? Easy paths, paths that seem to be going downhill, paths that seem to be leading somewhere nice, but not the path that you're supposed to take according to the compass you have set, according to the destination we are going. What is to have ultimate authority over you? We covered this the last session. Not the world, not yourself, but the one who bought you with a price, a shepherd of our souls, the one who loves you with everlasting love. And I called upon you to make, to make him your master. As you plan your course, you need to first get this right and, and, and make this clear in our own hearts. That's the, both the destination as well as the bearing, the, the bearing that we're going to take. He and he alone is to have ultimate authority over my life. Second question, how am I to view this world as I begin to function as an adult in this world? Now, how to see this world? Two things immediately become obvious. The first thing is this, when we are saved, of course, I mean, we are, we are in the kingdom of God, we are citizens of heaven, but we are not immediately taken out of this world, are we? You and I are still here. 
<laughs> you and I are still in this world, and, and, you and you, you and I, perhaps more you than me, still have decades left in this world, all things being equal. So if, just because we are safe doesn't mean that we are taken out of this world or that we are to disengage ourselves from this world. In nothing that I'm saying to, to, today, this afternoon, in nothing that I'm saying, would I want you to draw the conclusion that you're supposed to disengage yourself from this world? No, not at all. We continue to be live in this world. We continue to be engaged in this world. That's something I'll talk about more in the next session. Second thing is this. There is still beauty in this world, isn't there? Despite the fall of men, despite the fallenness of this world, despite the, the godless structure systems in this world, there are still these things in the world that are beautiful things that in the world that are intended for our good, for pleasure, for enjoyment. For some of us, it may be bubble tea. Something very hard for us to live without during the circuit breaker months. So tough, even bubble tea must close. Why is the government like that? Bubble tea. Maybe for me, it's more matcha latte, <laughs> which I might be happy to go for this evening. Or maybe for the rest of us, yeah, traveling to see various parts of the world. Maybe for some of us, soccer, maybe, maybe soccer clubs also, even clubs that are not doing so well, well, good for you. So these are things in the world that are still beautiful. There's still beauty in them. But the Bible has quite a lot to say about this world that we are in, doesn't it? Let's take a look at some verses. John 17, Jesus is speaking here. He's saying I, in his high priestly prayer, he says, I do not ask that you take them, meaning his disciples, out of the world, but you, you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Ah, what does he say about the world then? They are not of the world. What, is the, what, is the, what does Jesus mean when he says that disciples are not of the world? Not that they are to be physically separate. No, the disciples were never really physically separate, right? Of course, there are moments where they retreat from the world. Of course, there are moments they pull away to, to, to for, rec, for rest, pull away for prayer, entirely necessary, but very much engaged in the world still. So not to be physically separate, but an inner distinction. An inner distinction that's expressed outwardly, a different source of strength, a different sense of, a different ultimate loyalty, a different sense of inner character, different aspirations from the world. Not of the world. Another verse now. Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall, what shall a man give in return for his soul? Huh. There seems to be a connection here in what Jesus is saying concerning gaining the whole world and forfeiting one's soul. It seems like that they're left to us in our fallen state. There is a, in, in our carnality, there is a sense of desiring to gain the whole world. Whatever that means. Left to us, we want to try to gain the whole world. But when we do that, we are at risk of forfeiting our soul. At least the ways in which we may try to gain the whole world and what that means to us. Another verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of the world. Some warnings here once again, right, by the Apostle Paul. This world is not a world you want to be conformed to. Something about this world that shouldn't be conformed to it. First Corinthians 7, 31. Those who use the things of this world are to live as if they're not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What does the Apostle Paul say here? Is it okay to use the things of the world? Yes, it is. 
It doesn't mean that you must shun all things in the world. That there, there, there were sects in the past, religious Christian sects, so to speak, in the past, that said, no, you cannot use a motor car. A motor car is, is, is sinful. And then after that, some uh, sects were said, no, you can only use black motor cars. Uh, other colors are sinful. So they went even to the point of painting the chrome parts black, just so that they can satisfy what they, they thought were, were, was okay. We, we might see this as perhaps more legalistic than we need to be. The principle here is this. Use the things of the world. Do not be engrossed in them. That's what this verse says. Next, 1 John 2, 15-17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. A distinction once again between the things of the world, the desires of the world, versus doing the will of God. A distinction between lo not loving the world. This thing is about not loving the world, all the things of the world. A distinction between that and the love of the Father. Last verse I want to draw your attention to, James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. There are aspects of the world as dangerous for us to be stained by. Doesn't mean we remove ourselves from the world. Doesn't mean we have nothing and disengage from the world. We still remain very much engaged from the world. But there's a sense in which we must spiritually keep ourselves unstained from the lust of the world, from God ungodly desires in the world. Okay, next question. So, so the second question then is, is how, yes, how am I to, to view this world? How do I navigate in this world with all those warnings? If we acknowledge that, yes, there's beauty in this world, and yet there are all these warnings in Scripture concerning the world, what do I do? How do I navigate? How do I walk through this jungle? That's the second question. We probably will address this in, in some ways today. Third question, what amounts to success in this world? What really is success and how is it defined? Now, this is where I want to invite your participation in the chat. Tell me, tell me, be it based on uh, what your parents tell you, be it based on boomer attitudes that you have uh, encountered, uh, what you have heard from other people, your uncles, your aunties, or people in your generation. What do you see as success? How is success defined? So for example, you so, so finish this sentence, you'd be like, one is successful in the world if, okay? Just give you a few moments to respond to this. I am going to stop share for now while I see the responses in the chat. One is successful if, what have we got? Oh yeah. Money, 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 money. High achievements, yeah. Mm, meaning, fame, impact on society, makes progress, okay. Ah, one wheels power, gain happiness. Any more? Meaningful job, yes, I want that too. GPA, high GPA, oh dear. <laughs> I didn't have that. 
qualifications. Yes. What else have we got? Just wait for another 10, 15 seconds. Ah, if we are respected, admired. What gets us respected and admired? One has a happy family. Yes. Any more? Maybe two or three more? Oh, what oh, happiness. I can talk about jungle stories. Yeah, if you are popular, don't I like to be too? Okay, let me get back to my screen. Uh, let's see, where's my screen? Okay, here we are. Let me get back to my screen. I, I, I speak for my generation at least. Maybe I, I dare not speak for your generation. There may be some differences in, in what my generation and your generation may see as success. But I think what, what my generation sees as success, very obvious, right? Someone who has a big bungalow in uh, Bukit Timah, let's say, versus someone who has a three-room flat in Bukit Merah. Who is more successful? For my generation, <laughs> don't need to think about it. Uh, so obvious. Someone who drives a big car, has land, has, 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 uh, has luxury goods versus one who doesn't, who hardly has anything to his name. Who is more successful in this world? Oh, so obvious. We almost don't even consider any other aspect of the person's life. We almost don't even think, does this person live with integrity? We don't even think, what's this person's family life like? Is this, what, is, what is he? Does he, does he? Is there any real contribution in this world? What happens if someone got rich because he stepped on everybody else, he oppressed other people, because of getting rich, he oppresses other people, he, he, he cheats on other people, he cheats on his wife, he, he doesn't bother about his children, but he's rich. In my generation, it almost doesn't matter because when we think of success, we can only think of one thing, unfortunately. That's how my generation uh, sees these things. Uh, if we, for example, someone, we, my generation likes to use, use words like, for, like uh, oh, he started this business and he became very successful. He became a very successful person. What does it mean? I, I, some time ago, I heard a pastor uh, in, uh, in the US, he was talking about how, uh, how when he was younger, he grew up very, very poor. Then after that, he, he started the church and he became successful. I wonder what he meant. He didn't, he didn't define that. But I wonder what he meant by became successful. That's, maybe that's my generation. Your generation, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I assume this thing about money, you can't run away from it, right? Well, uh, success is still in some ways uh, tied to money. Although I think in your generation, you have a wider, more well-opt understanding of what success really means. I think in some, this, in some ways, this is a result of being woke for in your generation. Your generation is far more woke than, than my generation. You're able to see the income inequalities. You're able to see what's right, what's uh, in, in, in that, and increasingly wanting to do something about this. But you recognize, and you will recognize when you step out into the working world, that there are many ways in which you are going against the tide. The tide, the environment of the world is still very much like that. Very, we are judged on that basis. A good job prestigious job title, uh, address, things that we own. That's how the world is. Is that how it is for you? Is that how it is for you as you step into this jungle? 
Is that how it is for you when you plot your way ahead and you define what is your destination and what is your objective? Because if we don't define these things as before we step into the jungle, it's dangerous. It's really stepping into the jungle without a clearly marked objective, without a clearly marked destination. And in the end, who decides it for you? The jungle decides it for you. You will find yourself walking on paths that you, you're not sure you want to, you don't even know where you're headed, and the jungle is going to decide this for you. And what happens? You end up being held captive, as we saw in first session. So first question here of these three questions, first question was dealt with in our session one already. Who is to have ultimate authority over me? One very important thing to get right before we step into the jungle. Second and third questions will be answered in the course of this session and next session together. This session alone is not going to fully answer this. It will take both sessions. That's why I say all the three sessions are a three-legged stool. You need all three of them to come together. So now let's, take, let's get back to, let's get back to, strange. I mean, I'm trying to forward my slide here, but my clicker doesn't seem to work. Hmm. Let's see. Okay, hope it works now. Okay, good. Yep. Okay, so let's get back to Colossians now where we were. You remember that um, broadly, broadly speaking, um, Colossians has four chapters. Book of Colossians has four chapters, can be divided into first half, second half, first half, broadly speaking, doctrinal principles, second half, application of these doctrinal principles. Okay? And we are at this transitional point right now. Uh, we, you will recall we talked about the two influences that Apostle Paul was addressing in chapter 2. He was telling the people, yes, there are all these influences upon you and they are real. What do you need then? Remember that you are to be rooted in Christ, built up in Him, holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ and your faith solidly built upon Him. That's what's needed. And then he, he goes on to talk about how they, the, the futility of man-made religion. You, you see some of these things here. The rules of, 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 uh, of what is man-made religion, these rules, these regulations. And he says that these are merely based on human commands, human teachings. They lack any real value. Then he goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Wow. Set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. See, the religious, the, the two influences of the time may exert a continuing influence of the church on the church then, but to Paul, they're, they're nothing like knowing Christ. To Paul, they're, they're, they're like man-made religion, powerless to bring us nearer to God, powerless to enable us to grow in purity or in godly character. And so he says, do not set your minds on those things. Set your mind on, on those are worldly things. You belong to Christ and uh, you have died. You have been raised with him. His past is your past. His victory is your victory. His future inheritance is your, his, his inheritance is your future inheritance. You get to share in all that belongs with him. Set your minds on things above. Immediately looking at this, you know that there are two options as to how we are to live, right? And what are those two options? One option is set your minds on things, on earthly things, on things below. The other option, set your minds on things above. Obviously, the Apostle Paul is telling us, don't set your minds on earthly things. 
set your minds on things above. And when we look at this, we begin to wonder, how the only way to fulfill this uh, is for me to be like a pastor, right? So that I can be doing spiritual things all day, ah, maybe or, or missionary, so that I, my mind can be right, revolve around spiritual things all the time. If I were to go into a, a so-called secular job in the marketplace, how am I ever going to do this? <laughs> this is where we need to ask ourselves what, what, what this really means. What this really means? Does it mean that in, uh, in order to fulfill this, we have to be doing that all the time? Now, let me tell you something. Even if you were to be a full-time pastor or missionary, you left to ourselves, we may not be able to set our minds on Christ all the time. We may, it doesn't mean that just because you are a pastor, just because you are a missionary, oh, you've got it made, you know, all your life, you are able to set your minds on things above, not on a few things. Not necessarily. It's not so much the title. It's not so much the role. It's not so much the job. It's a question of, once again, setting your destination, setting your bearings, keeping faithful to it. Right through life. All the days of our lives. So let's explore this. And I'm going to deal with two questions. What does this mean? To set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And how do I do it? The more practical question. Okay, so first, what does this really mean? And I'm going to give us three pictures that, will, that I think, I hope will help us see understand, and understand what this means. First, choices. I was talking to a colleague yesterday at work and telling my colleague that, yeah, I'm doing these things with some young people, you know, uh, and uh, talking about uh, what it means to, 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 to uh, as you transition into adulthood, what are some, some convictions that we need to have. And as, she, as the, my colleague heard me, my colleague told me about a friend whom she had some 15 years ago, maybe. Uh, and this friend of hers was at that time trying to decide between going to uh, applying for law or for social work. Choosing between applying to, to go to NUS, to go to law or social work. It was a tough decision for her, for that, for that friend. Both seemed to, to, to be possible. Um, she set herself to pray over this. She set herself to seek a mind of God. She was probably a devoted believer. Set her mind to not just go with what she, she feels like. or but Of course, I have no doubt she probably has spoken to people and asked people, yeah, what is more me? Which, what, is, what are both like? And, and those are good things to do. But she also, sought her, she also set herself to seek the mind of God, to pray. And the more she prayed, the more she sensed that God was leading her into social work. She had concerns, understandable concerns, legitimate concerns to me at least, that... In social work, pay may not be as good. Probably far, very, probably true then, 15 years ago. I, I think social work pay has, has improved quite a bit um, today. It's, it's decent today. But in those days, maybe especially, uh, more, far more true than and now. And so there was a legitimate concern. Is it going to pay enough? Is it going to be able to enable me to yeah, raise a family, support a family well? Very real concerns. And she took this to the Lord. She prayed through these things. Oh, Lord, what is it to be? Should I do this? And she sensed, as the more she prayed, the more she sensed the Lord assuring her that it will be okay. That I am ultimately your provider. I will see to it. I am able to feed the lilies, like the, the ravens. I'm able to clothe the lilies in the field. I will see to it that you will be enough. You have enough. And so 
in, with that increasing sense of assurance, she made the choice, went into social work, worked, carried work, have had fulfilling career over these past 15 years, never regretted it. Never thankful and never regretted it. Now she has three kids. She feels that she's well provided for, the kids are well provided for, never regretted it. Now, if she, if, if she had set her mind solely on earthly things, might she have been able to make that choice? I'm not so sure. If she had set her mind purely on earthly things, she may not even have felt the need to pray. She may not even have felt the need to continue to wait upon God for this. If she had sought her, set her mind purely on earthly things, it may just be the earthly considerations, worldly considerations that dictated the choice. And left to ourselves, that's what we are like, right? Isn't, aren't we? Isn't it? Law will be more lucrative than... Uh, than, than if she were to ask someone who, who merely thinks, approaches this from, with a uh, focus on earthly things, the person who might, of course, say, of course, do law. And some of, you, some of you might well be thinking, yeah, that's what my parents are saying. Um, I, yeah, so how to... <laughs> this thing about what my parents are saying, it's a different conversation we need to have. With, I, I want to have with you. The, the short answer for now, if I could offer you one, is... Don't disrespect, don't disregard their concerns. Their concerns may well be real. Don't, don't, don't be too quick to dismiss their concerns. But also learn to engage them in an honouring way. In a way that honours their concern for you. In a way, eventually, you may choose, you may decide that, oh, it's social work that I feel the Lord is leading me to. How to engage with my parents over this then? It's, it's going to be tough. Engage with them, be patient and engaging with them, pray, pray for them, and also talk to them in a way that's honoring of their concern for you, not being dismissive of it. Okay, I leave it there because that has to be, that has a, a far longer conversation. So first, in terms of choices, that, that, that setting our minds versus on things above versus setting our minds on things below, on uh, earthly things in this world determines how we make our choices, the process in which we make our choices. Process, probably more important than the outcome, right? It decides the, the process by which we make our choices. Second thing, sometimes this, this song keeps coming back to me, this period of time. Some of you may not even know this song, <laughs> but let me set the backdrop for this. Uh, sometimes we think of setting our minds on, earth, on, on, on things above, away from earthly things as, uh, you know, wow, I really want that earthly thing. I really want that. Okay, just to give some crude example, <laughs> I don't know whether it's relevant for you, but it's like, oh, I really want to go pubbing and clubbing. But, uh, yeah, but I'm a Christian, uh, so cannot, uh, yeah, rats. Uh, yeah, I can only look at my friends and see my, uh, on, the, on the chat group my friends doing all that and I am start going to church and going for CG and all that. Uh, yeah. Is it like this? Maybe it's not, you know. Maybe it's not like that. What does this song say? Some of you may not know this song, so I'm going to sing it to you. <laughs> this song goes this way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That involves a turning from and a turning to. Left ourselves, our eyes may really be on things of this world, but it involves a turning from the things of this world and turning to Jesus. It says, look full in his wonderful face. Gaze upon his wonderful face. Take time to gaze, to, to dwell there in his presence, in his wonderful face. And it's one thing that, you know, one thing I missed during this whole circuit breaker period and, 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 and up, even up to now that I didn't realize I missed I miss times of worship together with others. I miss times of intimacy in worship. I miss times of just drawing close to God in worship together with other people. And for the first weeks, six weeks during the circuit period, I didn't even realize I missed that. It was only rather quite recently that I, I begin to sense that yeah, how, how much I miss that, how much I need that, how much I desire that, and how much times of worship helped me set my perspective right as I look full in His wonderful face. As we do that, the things of earth, the song says, will go strangely dim. Why strangely? Left to ourselves, the things of earth, of earth are very bright. They are alluring. They draw our attention. They draw our hearts constantly. But as we fix our eyes upon him, look full in his wonderful face, gaze upon him, the things on earth grow strangely dim. Can't quite explain why. We don't quite, it's very hard for you to, 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 to exactly define how, why. But they do, they do happen in the light of his glory and grace. If the things on the earth don't go strangely dim, could it be that it's because we haven't learned to look full into his wonderful face. If you're still full of the anxieties of this world, caught up by the things of this world, setting our minds on earthly things, could it be because we need to learn to look full into his wonderful face, enter into his light of his glory and grace, being taken back to Eden as it were, taken back to Eden, Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden, why is the Garden of Eden called Eden? I learned this from Pastor Adrian a few weeks back. You know, it's not, we always think that Garden of Eden is like, okay, there's a Garden of Angmokyo, there's a Garden of Marine Parade, there's a Garden of Woodlands. And so the Garden of Eden is like one of these gardens located in different places. So Eden is like a name of a place. So it's just a locality. We used to, I used to think of it that way. But no, you know what Eden means? Eden means delight. Delight. It's the garden of delight. That's what God created it as, as he walks with men, as men walk with him. Yes, an equal relationship, not a relationship of equals, mind you, but a sense of delight, a sense of intimacy. It's a bit like this verse that, that, that just is stuck in my mind. I can't get rid of it. Uh, Song Solomon 2.16, My beloved is mine and I am his. It's a picture there of what our relationship with God is to be like, that intimacy with Him. I, in the last session, I emphasized this thing about we belonging to Him. He as our master. 
But what is true is also this. As we yield ourselves to belong to Him, as we walk closely with Him, it's not just my beloved is mine, but also that I am His. There's a mutuality about the relationship. And that's what happens when we look full into His wonderful face. Third picture about setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things. What you see there, yes, it is a tombstone. Strange to talk about death, right? <laughs> we talk about transitioning into young adulthood. Hey, pastor, we got all our life ahead of us, you know, and you want to talk about death? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I want to talk about death. See, how, how, does, how does someone who set his mind on things above view death? As opposed to someone who sets his mind on earthly things. How do we view death? It says a lot about our perspective, you know. So for example, someone who really, really walks with the Lord, set our minds on things above, how does he view death? Is he fearful of death? Does he even shun the thought of death? No, 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 no. don't talk about death. We so morbid. Rather not think about this? I might suggest not. I might suggest that one who set his minds on things above is quite prepared even to welcome the thought of death. Now, this may sound, sound very strange to you, but look at this verse, this, this verses, and see what we glean from here. See what Apostle Paul is saying in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, living or dying. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. <laughs> now, first thing you must see eh, is that the Apostle Paul had everything to live for. What did he have to live for? He wanted to remain in fruitful labor to serve the Philippians, to serve other people. So it's not like he's suicidal. Don't get the idea that Apostle Paul, ah, he's so fed up with the things of this world, fed up with the oppression, fed up with the, the persecutions, and the, I, I want to die, I want to kill myself. Nothing of that sort. He has, he has focused on fruitful labor. But yet he says this, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. He sees death as the greatest gain possible. And why is death gain? because he gets to be with Christ. Very much to do with what we talked about just before this, right? Turning our eyes upon Jesus, looking full into his wonderful face and desiring him. That's exactly what Apostle Paul is saying here. To be with Christ is far better. It's impossible for someone who sets his mind on things on earth to say something like this. Impossible. If we set our mind on things of, earth, on, of the earth, we'll find ourselves wanting to lay hold of the things of this world, accumulate even perhaps things of this world, achievements, material belongings, uh, recognition, validation by other people. We want to lay hold of all of these kinds of things instead of letting go. In fact, for someone who sets his mind on earthly things, death may well be the greatest loss. How sad that is, right? When the Apostle Paul says death should really be the greatest gain because we get to be with Christ. I want to encourage us to think about this more. I, I know, I mean, I mean I, when I'm your age, I don't want to talk about death. I don't, I don't think about death much. <laughs> but somehow I find that there is value in this. 
It's a bit like setting an objective. It's a bit like marking in the map what our objective is, our destination is, chart a course towards that. It's a bit like that, is it? So, what, is this, what does it mean to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things? I hope with these three pictures, they give us some idea what it's like. I want to go on now to the next question. How do I do this? How do we go about setting our minds on things above and not on earthly things? And I will suggest some practical helps now. How to do this? Okay, First, take responsibility. Take personal responsibility over this. What, do the, what does the verse say? What does the Apostle Paul tell the Colossians? Set your minds. That's something for them to do, right? And surely he says that because they can and they must do it. It's a bit like setting your compass, isn't it? Predetermined. Determine for yourself and predetermine for yourself what course you will take and taking personal responsibility for this. And we need to take personal responsibility for this because it doesn't come naturally. What comes far more naturally for me at least is to set my, my, my mind on earthly things, not to set my mind on things above. It's not the default position. It's a bit like how you don't step into the jungle, anyhow walk and find yourself at, your, at the, the destination you are in. Uh, you are supposed to be nine kilometers away. No, it doesn't happen that way. Random choices don't give you this. You need to take personal responsibility for this, to set your minds on things above. Second, second picture I want to offer to you. I, I was in office many months back, I think maybe about a year ago, when I was texting a covenanter over some ministry stuff. And then the covenanter texted to me and said, oh, actually, I'm in New Zealand now. And I'm in a rental car that's been towed away. <laughs> I texted, oh, no, what's happening? Why, why is your rental car towed away? See, he was, in, he was on vacation in, in New Zealand with his family, and he rented a diesel car. So he went, he, he need, his diesel car needed feeling, went to the patrol kiosk, uh, pumped his car, drove off. And after he drove off, this thought hit him, what did I just pump? Did I pump diesel or did I pump petrol? Now, most of us, if you don't drive, you, don't, you, know, you may not be uh, conscious of the difference here. But a diesel car is, for a diesel car, you're supposed to pump diesel. For a petrol car, you're supposed to pump petrol. And the two are different. If you pump the wrong kind of fuel, as this brother found out, <laughs> outcomes are disastrous, can damage the engine. So somehow, well, and maybe on, on hindsight, yeah, thank God for this. Somehow he, he, he asked himself, did, what did I just pump? And when he realized that he had pumped petrol instead of diesel, he called up the car rental company. Okay, what do I do now? They had to send a tow truck. He can't even continue to drive the car, you know. He was not supposed to even start the engine. Send a tow truck, tow the car, drain out all the petrol, flush the engine clean. <laughs> he had to change the car, of course. I mean, but... But it cost him hundreds of dollars. Powerful lesson there. And, my, and, and, and the powerful lesson is this to me. There are some things we are supposed to be filled with and there are things we are not supposed to be filled with. Owner, our owner knows us. Our maker knows us. There are things that we are supposed to be filled with and things we're not meant to be filled with. And we've got to be careful what we're filling our minds with. It's a bit like food, right? We've got to watch our diet. 
We, these things like we, okay, if I chakwetiao once or twice, three times uh, in every meal consecutively may not seem to make a difference immediately, but will it make a difference? Of course, you bet it will. What we feed our minds, what we feed our, it's, it's like very much like what we feed our, our, our food in, as part of our diet. It has a consequence in our spiritual life. Same in the spiritual. So this is where we need to be careful over music that we listen to, content that we are viewing, content that we are filling our minds with. Some things can be very addictive even. I, 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 I recently just downloaded TikTok <laughs> because the US wants to ban it, right? So I wanted to see what TikTok is all about. So I went into TikTok and I scroll, scroll, scroll. Before you knew it, before I know it, wow, so much time has gone by already. And I've been filling my mind with what's on TikTok. Quite amusing, but, but not something for me to want to fill my mind with. So be careful what you fill your mind with. And what you fill your mind with may well decide whether you're someone who sets your minds on things above or set your mind on earthly things. Next. Cute picture. What is the idea here? <laughs> the idea here is this. Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. Some of you may immediately say, what, Pastor? We are supposed to set our minds on things above, you know. You're not supposed to set our minds on going to the Institute of Mental Health. Talk to yourself. Now, are there examples of this in Scripture? Talking to ourselves. And I think there are. Psalms 103, verse 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits. Pardons all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, redeems your life, and so on. What's the psalmist doing? Telling his, himself, talking to himself, reminding himself of spiritual truth so, that, so as to shape his conduct. Psalm 42, verse 10. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall once again praise him, my help and my God. What's the psalmist doing here? Talking to himself. In the midst of discouragement, in the midst of loss, in the midst when, when all things seem lost and gone, he's reminding his own heart. My heart, listen to me. You are prone to feeling discouraged, feeling disheartened, giving up even. But no, hope in God. You shall once again praise him, your help and my God. Regaining control, right? Taking control over our own thoughts, our own hearts. So much needed. Why do we need to do this ourselves? Because, because other people may not be able to read what's going on in our own hearts and our own minds, right? How often is it that when you're discouraged, when you feel like giving up, other people can see, other people are able to respond? No, I, I wish that were more often so that, other, so that you hold yourself accountable to other people. But sometimes we, we, we don't find it easy to talk about these things. And that's when we need to be able to talk to ourselves, remind ourselves based on scriptural truth. And when we do that, we help ourselves set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Last one. Think ahead. Think ahead. Actually, the word I was, I was searching for, the word was in my mind, is visualize ahead. Predetermine how you will respond to various things. This is one technique that we use in training, isn't it? 
They want to train people to, be, to behave in a certain way. We do role plays. And role plays is just really a way of visualizing ahead to condition the body to be able to respond the way we are supposed to. So firefighters, people in the military, people who are, who, uh, they, they're, they're thinking ahead, they're visualizing various things. Scenario planners are constantly visualizing ahead so that when various things happen, we know how to respond. So we do this in training, role plays, and think ahead. Don't wait until you're in that situation. Then you decide what you have to do. So for example, what does it mean to set your minds on things above at your workplace in future? Some of us may be headed for careers, for workplaces where everyone is just greedy for gain. Everyone is just motivated by greed. I don't know what organization it might be. It might just be a bank, a financial institution. Or some of us may be in a big corporation where people are power hungry, people are competitive, people are constantly comparing with one another. Or you may be where everyone looks at others in three ways. First way. You are a contributor to my growth. I will pander to you. I will make use of you one way or another. Second, you are a hindrance to my growth and advancement. I will find ways to deal with you. Third way, you are neutral. Neither a contributor to my advancement, my career advancement, nor a hindrance. You are irrelevant to me. That's the reality of this world, right? There are people who will be like this. We don't have to judge them. We don't even have to criticize them. In fact, we should be compassionate towards them. What a terrible way to live. But that's the reality of our world. And we need to think, visualize beforehand. How am I going to conduct myself? What am I going to be like in that situation? How will I, if people who are more career, concerned with career progression and career over serving others well, over making a difference in their workplace, am I going to be the same? Am I going to march to the drumbeat? Can I choose to be different? This is where visualizing, thinking ahead helps. And we decide for ourselves beforehand. Yes, money is nice. If, you are, if my employer were to give me more money, pay me more money next month, I probably won't turn them down. But we don't orientate our lives around it. Your life is not about climbing this corporate ladder. You have to visualize this, decide beforehand what you're going to be. You will be reliable, you'll be honest, you'll be responsible but you're going to visualize ahead and decide for yourself. You're not going to play political games. You're not going to go out of your way to be noticed by bosses. You don't have to worm your way into high visibility projects, so, which look good, but may not make much difference. Decide beforehand how you will be. One thing to decide beforehand, how you will conduct yourself, may well be old school gatherings. Old school gatherings. Imagine yourself in your mid-30s, Gathering with your friends from, uh, let's say, I don't know, secondary school, from poly, uh, from your university class, from, your, uh, from, from NS, whatever it may be. Say mid-30s, late-30s, gathering back together. Oh, where the people talk swap stories about old times and uh, joke about the teacher, uh, and joke about this and that, and joke about various ones who are clowns in the class. Invariably also, the conversation turns towards, hey, what are you, what are you doing now? Where are you working? Uh, well, what position are you holding? Uh, where do you live? Uh, what car do you drive? People start noticing things like this. And very often, it, it could really be a sense of competition and comparison, unfortunately. That's a, re that's a reality we can't escape from. 
And we, are, we might find ourselves there in that position if we, if we, if we are quite okay, we do, are doing better than some others or worse than other, not too many others. We may find that okay, not too bad. But if we are not doing as well as many others, we may find ourselves quite crushed. How do we respond then? Those are things that we need to visualize beforehand and think ahead. What are we, what, what is, how are we going to respond? Wouldn't it be far better for us to think about people who may feel less than in those circumstances and go and befriend them, go and talk to them and, and show interest in their lives, even think about how we may share the gospel with them. Prepare beforehand. And as we do so, it's so helpful, I find, to talk to people who have gone ahead of us. I take an active interest in people who are in their 60s. I mean, I'm almost in my mid-50s now. I take an active interest in people who are in their 60s, how they live, the choices that they make, because I see that as um, important for me. That's part of my transitioning into their phase of life. And so being, for us to be able to seek out people who have gone, who are 10 years ahead of us, 15 years ahead of us, talk to them, ask them questions, so valuable. So thinking ahead also means looking for people and journey with looking for people who have gone ahead of us, that we can sit down, have a meal together, ask them questions. What is one most fulfilling thing about your work in these past few months? What's one work challenge that you had these past few months? What is one difficulty that you have in uh, relating with your, your bosses uh, recently and how did you overcome that? Ask people these kind of questions and learn from them, hear from them, learn from them. So, in, for me in, in, in Brunei, in that jungle, I had the benefit of being with instructors. Yes, I was leading my, my platoon, but I had instructors with me. So who, that, that gave me a lot of comfort because even if I'm wrong, okay, the instructors will, will, will allow me to be wrong for a bit, but then after that, they will probably will also prompt me, probably will also correct me. So it's very different from if I were there on my own, trying to figure it out on my own. That's the benefit of having people around you, that you whose wisdom you can seek people who you can keep yourself accountable to. So, what then is this one mindset coming to uh, close our, our, our time for this afternoon? What is this, that, what is this one mindset that we need to have towards this world? Someone put, this like, put it like this. Imagine our lives as actors in a play. So in this play that we're putting up, some are noblemen, there are princes and there are kings, and there also are the poor paupers. Some act as this, some act as that. And we put on clothes that uh, correspond to our roles, the part that we play, um, and we, we, we behave like that. Behave like that in the course of the play. So the rich, the, those who are rich, wow, enjoy what comes to the station of life in their play. After the play is over, all of them go to the same dressing room, all of them shower, all of them walk out at the back through the same exit and get onto the real world. The kings that were on stage don't continue to wear their majestic robes, don't continue to wear their crowns outside in the real world. They don't get to lord it over others outside anymore. The paupers who in the play didn't have to remain in their rags. They didn't have to wallow in poverty, in self-pity outside in the real world. You see, we all have our time in this world. We may play different roles. We may have different stations in life here in this world. 
But this world is not the real world. Compared to all of eternity, this is but a mere blip in an entire timeline. Our mistake is in thinking that this is the real world, this is all there is to it. The time will come when our time on this world ends, just like the, the play has got to end at some point. We step out of the, off the stage, we get out of our roles, we remove the clothes that we are wear, the, 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 the clothes we're wearing, whether it's robes of royalty or pauper's clothes, we go out through the same door and we move on to the real world. See, like actors here in this world, yeah, we may say it's not the real world, but we still have to play our part here. That's necessary. But we don't set our minds on this. We live, go through this knowing that it will be over and we get out back into the real world. We don't want to mistake this to the real world because it isn't. Such an important perspective, such an important mindset to have concerning this world. And that's the fundamental conviction I would like for you to have. I want for you to have because I see that's so important. Of all my favorite verses, there's one favorite verse that probably is the shortest that comes back to me time and again. And it's found in this, this uh, part of this chapter, Hebrews 11. In fact, the favorite part is only seven words, consists only of seven words, but seven words that speak volumes. Now, what's Hebrews 11 all about? Hebrews 11 is about faith, isn't it? But how various ones did marvelous acts through faith. Wow, through faith, they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they by faith, they did this, they obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, did so many wonderful things, and we all applaud and say, wow, wonderful, by faith, we do all these kind of things. Great. Now, what... But no, no question of, they, so all these people, by faith, they accomplished that. They remained loyal to God. No question of them failed. Then we see these words, of whom the world was not worthy. Now, who did this describe? Who did this describe? Did this describe the people who were doing magnificent, wonderful things? Or did it describe some other groups of people? You see, Hebrews 11, we like to think of the people who were doing marvelous acts, but Hebrews 11 also covered some people who were tortured, refusing to accept release. Well, they suffered mocking, they suffered flogging, they suffered chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. These seven words, of whom the world was not worthy. Which group were these seven words used on? And immediately we see they were used on not the people who, who seemed so impressive, even to the world, seemed impressive to everybody else. Wow, those conquering heroes, they accomplished so many wonderful things. Surely they are the greatest ones. The writer of the book of Hebrews didn't use this to refer to them. He used this to refer to those whom we may even consider as misfits, outcasts, losers in this world. We want to have nothing to do with them. We think of them as complete losers and embarrassment even to us, to the church. People who seem to be defeated. People who seem to have lost everything. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, these are the ones of whom the world was not worthy. We do so much to try to gain the world. We do so much to try to win the world. 
Some people pour our lives to try to win the world and at the same time forfeit our souls. But the writer of Hebrews says, these people, losers, can end up with nothing. They are the ones. Even the world is not worthy of them. It tells you something about what success means, doesn't it? In the eyes of God. It tells you something about a divine perspective that's different from ours. A perspective of setting our minds on things of earth and a perspective that's different when we set our minds on things above, things in heaven. Success means something so different. I started this session by talking about going into the jungle. How when we go into the jungle, we don't walk into the jungle without a clear endpoint, without a clear destination, without an objective. You set that right first or you go into the jungle to get lost. When one has a clear destination some distance away, you don't go into a jungle hoping to chance upon your destination. You can't, you won't. You need to set your bearings. You need to do so before getting into the jungle, before you even start the journey. A time will come for you to focus on following your compass. Even when you prefer an easier direction, even when you get distracted by other things in a way, you need to be able to follow your compass. But today, at this stage in your life now, before you step out into the jungle, as it were, as you're going through this transition period, what's needed is for you to be clear about your destination. Last week, I told you, take some time that very same day, find a place to pray, find a place to kneel before God and, and tell him, God, I submit to your authority, you and yours alone. You are my one master in this world, not my will, but yours be done. Today, I tell you this, to determine your objective. Decide for yourself that your objective, your destination, is not just things of this world. You're going to go beyond that. You're going to set your mind on things above, not on things of this world. You're going to be someone of whom even the world is not worthy of. And after you become clear about your destination, you set your course, off you go into the jungle. Don't go into the jungle without this. Be intentional about this. So right through your adult years, set your mind today that you will not be on the things of this world, but on things above, holding on to this one mindset that this is not the real world. Play your part here. Do what you need to here. Remembering that one day you will walk through that door into the real world. Have that perspective. Not of this world, not to love this world, not to be engrossed by the things of this world, but turning your eyes upon Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, 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 help us fix our eyes upon you. Help us turn our eyes upon you. Help us gaze steadfastly, faithfully, fully upon you. Gaze upon you, gaze on you, the one who loves us with an everlasting love the one who is our shepherd. And because of that, because you are our shepherd, we have no lack. Gaze upon you, the one whose grace is always sufficient, always going to be sufficient. Gaze upon you, the one who even says of us, my beloved is yours and you are ours. So help us, O oh Lord, to gaze upon you so that the things of this world become strangely dim and we find ourselves setting our minds on things above, not on the things of this world. Help us, we pray, 
as we thank you, we bless you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now we're going to go into our groups and discuss some questions. Before we go to these questions, of course, Daniel is going to facilitate the time of um, uh, Q&A, and I'm looking forward to that. But before that, we are... These are some questions that I would like us to discuss in our groups. Now, why are we prone to loving this world or setting our minds on the things of this world? Why are we prone to? What is the matter with me? What's the matter with us? Why are we like this? And what is wrong with doing so? Second question, the mindset we should disciple Pharisees to have towards this world is this. What, what, what's, the, what's the mindset that we need to have? Describe that mindset. And talk about one person whom you feel exemplifies this. It can be a person you know of, a friend or a relative, or maybe a parent or, or whoever that you, you know exemplifies this. Or maybe someone from the Bible, someone you read of in a book whom you feel exemplifies this. Talk about that person. Third question, it suggested that this will help us fix our minds on things above. Take personal responsibility, fill your mind with what is right, speak to yourself and think ahead, visualize ahead, uh, look to people for help, which is most needed for you right now. Last question, what do you find most striking about this session? What do you need to do about that? Discussion, discussion questions for you to get into later. Okay, over to you now, Daniel. Thank you so much, Pastor King Yao. Yeah, for those who th thought that he gave a good session, I would like to see some virtual claps. Virtual claps, virtual claps, virtual claps. Nice. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I think today's session really covered quite extensively and quite clearly what it means to have a mindset. And Pastor King Yao, uh, appreciate so much for giving some practical handles on taking responsibility and uh, filling it with the right tank, talking to yourself, and, and what's the last one? Oh, visualizing ahead. I think those are very practical steps. Uh, of course, the concrete examples of what it actually looks like for you may, will vary from person to person, I think. And, and yeah, a lot of scripture was also covered today, so I, I think that's uh, something that... Uh, there's a lot to absorb at once. And I think that uh, some of you may be still kind of like trying to wrap your head around what was said today. Uh, it was a longer session today and uh, some of you may also have some questions. And uh, I think the, the pigeonhole is up. So don't be afraid to ask questions and submit questions. Uh, feel free to send it in to pigeonhole.at and the passcode is transit2. Transit to, so maybe you're you're trying to kind of uh, get a better sense of what it means to not love this world. Yeah, I can be living in this world, and I'm living in this world for twenty four seven every day. I'm living in this world, but at the same time, maybe I how can I how can I live in this world and not love this world? Maybe that's one question you may want to ask. Uh, just feel free to submit it to the pigeonhole, and uh, submit your questions is up now feel free to send them in okay I'm waiting or maybe maybe Pastor Kenyal maybe you cover everything already it's too watertight already <laughs> okay I'm I'm waiting for questions to come in nothing yet so maybe maybe Pastor Kenyal maybe you can answer my question the one that I propose <laughs> the so if I'm living in the world so often, how can I 
live in a way that isn't loving the world. Mm. Yeah. So the one John passage reminds us not to love the world. Something we'll look at next session is also, hey, God loves the world, you know. That's the sense in which, uh, see, God loves the world. God, for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, right? And God loves the world. Aren't we supposed to love the world as well? There's something that we will cover next session. They were talking about different kind of love, in short. It's that God loves the world with, with an unselfish love. It's not His, it's, it's, but when, when, when the, in 1 John, they talk about do not love the world, there are aspects of the world that are anti-God. So let, let, let me back up a little bit and perhaps answer the question, what, what, is, what does it mean to not love the world? What aspects of the world are we not to love? I back up a bit and, 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 and perhaps talk a bit about that. The Bible doesn't seem to exactly define with a lot of precision what this the world means. And I grapple with this also myself as to how much I want to try to define this for you. What exactly this the world means. I find it help. I, I tell you some things that I find helpful for myself. One thing I find helpful is to think back historically when the gospel, the, the gospel, the, the, the various authors in the in the New Testament of the New Testament talk about in the world, warning us concerning the world, telling us not to love the world. The world was a rather harsh place for their faith. The world was a very inhospitable place for their faith. Very hard ground, so to speak, the way we will put it today. Very hard to reconcile their faith with the prevailing culture, prevailing environment for them. And I talked a bit about this, the Grecian influence, the, 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 the fact that there yeah, are many deities, and if you don't follow the, in the things that they say, you are very much an outcast, and you could even be uh, uh, contributing to earthquakes, floods, and so on, and, and the harvest. Very tough place to be, and they, 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 that's why they were, and this, I, I suspect that's the main thing that they were right, they, they, the one key thing at least they had their mind on when they're writing about how yeah, the world is at odds. You see, the thing is that like money, for example, is uh, many people say money is neutral, right? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money can be put to good. There's a sense in which the world is not neutral. At least the world that these authors write about and warn us concerning. A sense in which the world is not neutral. There's a sense in which the world and the world systems, the world's uh, whole entire uh, spiritual ecology is anti-God. And that's what I believe the scriptures are warning us against. Things in the world that are anti-God, there are systems in the world that are anti-God, that, that want to take us away from God, want to prevent us from drawing close to God, that hinder us from drawing close to God. That's what I understand to be all these references to the world. And in that sense, we're not to love the world. In that sense, we're supposed to we live in this world. We do our best to serve the world in whatever way we can. But there are aspects, there are all these aspects of the world that are anti-God, that want to draw us away from faith, want to take us away from, uh, from the path that we're supposed to take. And um, those are the things we're not to love. Hmm. Yeah, thank you so much, Pastor Kinga, for that question, uh, for that answer. Uh, questions are coming in. So maybe along the line of uh, what's not along the line of what God wants for you, uh, I'll share the first question. Let's see whether it's coming up. 
By the way, I was wondering whether Pastor Adrian has something to say about that. Oh yeah, Pastor Adrian, uh, feel free to answer <laughs> also, there. okay? Okay, just feel free to jump in oh, wait, anytime. Uh, I need to bring the screen to the front. Give me a moment. Oh, okay, there we go. So, the first question that comes in is, uh, how do you differentiate what is actually from God and what we think is from God? Uh, so, uh, either one of you, uh, to, to me, I think it's along the same lines of what was shared just now. Yeah. Uh, how do we discern maybe the question is more of discernment and knowing what is I mean having the right conscience to say that yeah I think this is from God and I, I'm ready ready to go ahead with that yeah so any thoughts uh, Pastor King or Pastor Adrian yeah I, I guess I kind of addressed this uh, in during the session and maybe it would be good to hear from Pastor Adrian since he's with us Pastor Adrian have a step sure uh, okay uh, very Briefly, this is really about discernment. Basically, each of us wants to discern what uh, God is uh, saying uh, to us, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So in some, very, very briefly, the, uh, we need to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to us. And then we need to check against a few things. Number one, we need to check against the Bible, right? That is, uh, is clearly not something that the, the Bible is against. The Holy Spirit doesn't go against what the Bible says is the first thing. Secondly, God has also given us um, a certain um, moral order, certain social order, certain things that are, uh, you, you know, the order of the world, right, that is for human flourishing. And if something that is against human flourishing uh, creates more disease, um, you know, damages certain things, then we know that that is also not something that uh, God uh, would want us to have. So first thing is the word. Secondly, it's against human flourishing, right? And uh, also um, the community that God has given us, right? Um, uh, mature believers who loves you and uh, who does not have a vested interest uh, to, to want you to go this way or other way, uh, you can consult them. Okay, and uh, so in part of discerning, it's always helpful not to be a solo Christian, a maverick, uh, a, you know, a lone ranger Christian. Have a few people um, who are um, mature, who loves you, and in, in many ways are not vested interest in your choice of a decision. Yeah, so do have some check and balance uh, as you go into discernment. All right, yeah. Mm. I just had a comment here. Um that as we try to yeah, hear from the Lord and, and two things we need. One thing is, yes, the humility to recognize that we don't always hear correctly. Um, and I think that's, that, that humility is very well expressed in this question. We recognize that we don't always hear correctly. The other thing is this, don't let the, 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 the possibility of not hearing God correctly prevent us from seeking to hear. Even the desire to hear, even the seeking to hear God is something pleasing to Him, something very honouring to Him. So both must operate together. Hold a sense of humility, but also don't be prevented from desiring, hearing, longing to hear His voice, to follow after Him. Of course, the third thing, of course, is hear and be willing to obey. The one who is hearing and is willing to obey is far more likely to hear than the one who is, actually, who is hearing, but actually his own mind is made up. Oh, that's a wonderful words of wisdom. Really seeking the Lord is really what's important. And the act of seeking is, uh, is truly what I think God seeks after God wants. I think uh, Jeremiah says, seek the Lord and seek him with all of your heart. Seek and 
you will find him. Yeah, so uh, just some, some thoughts that come to my mind when I hear the answer. Uh, someone actually added a comment to this question. So I'm just going to read it out. I can't project it, unfortunately. So I'm just going to read it out. Uh, so pigeonhole, there's a feature where you can comment on other people's questions. And I'm not sure whether this comment is from the same person asking, asking the question or someone else is answering the question. So someone is saying, won't Christians gravitate towards choices that seem more like more self-sacrificial because it is more Christ-like? So Christians gravitate towards more self-sacrificial questions. And does that mean that it comes from God or the presumption of what God would want us to do? I think to some extent, uh, yes. To some extent, yes. There is a amount of uh, self dying to self when, when, uh, when God calls us. Uh, and very often, sometimes God calls us to something that's uncomfortable, which is something that we are not willing. To, uh, it's not our natural first choice. But other times... Also, God calls us to a common sense kind of solution. Yeah, that's my quick stab at it. Uh, anyone else wants to add on to it, Pastor Adrian or Pastor King? Yeah? No. Okay, moving on. I will project the next question. Oh, by the way, for those who don't have a question, feel free to just log in to the same website anyway. You can upvote the ones that you want to be answered so that we can answer accordingly. So the next question uh, is here. Is it wrong to have goals related to earning more money? Huh. Is having is wanting more money wrong? <laughs> or, or say career progression to be able to have a better life, nicer housing and a nicer car? A very practical question. <laughs> yeah. This is where I'm reminded of the verse um, that says how uh, those who use the things of this world must be careful to use them, not being engrossed in them. And I was also reminded recently of, uh, I believe it's Psalm 62, 10, when your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Do not set your mind on them. The danger of these things is when we begin to set our minds on them, such that, and you, I believe you may have heard this, we don't, start to, we don't just own these things, these things own us. It's to a point where we can't let go. We just can't let go of these things. We just got to uh, move on to the next, um, next level, you know, the next better thing, the newer thing. And they come to have a hold in us, come to have a hold in our lives and even become idols in our lives. It's always this danger. Am I to say that, oh, someone who uh, buys a certain kind of house or has a certain car, oh, that person sets his mind on things uh, below and this earth? No, <laughs> you, you, I, I wouldn't want to judge someone like this and we, and we shouldn't. And, and by one decision, it's, it's not right to go, go, and go telling somebody that oh, you're setting your minds on things below. There's there be legalism, which is not what this is all about. Um, but there are things to be careful, to be cautious over. And scriptures again and again caution us over these things. I'll just allow Pastor Adrian to respond to this first. Um, I, I don't have much more to, to say. Um, yeah, um, that, except that um, um, I, think, I think there's always a need to have a balance. All right, mm -hmm. there needs to be a balance. Uh, the Proverbs, you know, in Proverbs, they say that, you know, um, this, the writer says, I, I don't want to be so rich until I forget God. Neither do I want to be a beggar and steal and dishonor God. So I think there's always um, 
uh, God-centeredness. You notice even the this writing the prophet say, I don't want to be too rich until I forget God, nor too poor to dishonor God. Notice that his focus is on what, you know, it's about honoring God. Yeah, it's about honoring God. And therefore, there is always a, a good sense of being moderate. Okay, in generally, um, moderation in life is quite a good thing. All right, so you, you can have a, a good career, you can have wealth, um, be moderate and be God-centered and let God supply to uh, your, your, your needs. Um, as to certain things that are just wants, you know, self-desire. We ask ourselves, why, why do we want to have all these things? Why do we need to have a nicer car? Why do you need to have a better housing? Well, when the time comes when you have four children, five children, you will need to have a bigger car. You need to have more rooms for your children. So there are some things that actually are very pragmatic and very practical as well. All right. So be moderate, be wise and be humble. Thank you both for your answers. Uh, I, I presume uh, there's nothing else to add. I think maybe I'll add something about, yeah, um, yeah the, the reason is so important because left to us, I, I, and I, I, I pry into my own heart, I can see these things in myself. I want to have a bigger house, bigger car, higher, higher uh, career progression. Um, sometimes it's to enable me to look good before other people to be one up over the next person. So that in that old school gathering, <laughs> I, I, I look good, I appear good. I don't have to feel less than compared to other people. I feel validated as an individual. And I begin to build my sense of identity on things like this. It's so easy too. We don't set off doing that, you know, yeah, but after some time, you drift into it. It's so easy to come to build my sense of identity over these things. And you know these things, you, you, you don't always have control over this, right? Suddenly things are gone. Suddenly things are lost. What is going to happen to your sense of identity? What is going to happen to your sense of personhood? How much better to build a sense of identity over the fact that you belong to Him? You are His. He loves you in everlasting love and nothing ever is going to change that. How much better is that? That's all. Mm, yeah, um, maybe just uh, uh, let me just add on to this this one because such a uh, uh, this is a very very good direction on on, on this. Um, I want to say something that may not be directly answering this this point, but it goes to to um, why why people seek external things, you know, bigger car, uh, um, nicer house. Oftentimes, actually, it is that they are seeking affirmation. They are pursuing a lot of external things because they are under-affirmed. And it's almost as if all these external things can affirm them. It is um, it's, it's rather a, a, a sad situation. So I want to just turn this around because you're, many of you are in, in, in Covenant Group, you're in CG. Um, and there's something you can do for one another, even though you are 19 euro, 20 euro, 21 euro, all right? I encourage you to affirm each other more. Affirm each other. Um, don't take each other for granted. All right. Yeah. Someone has done something good, positive. Affirm, affirm your CG mates. All right. And have a culture of affirmation. Because oftentimes we take each other for granted. So I encourage you, um, begin young, begin affirming. And that will do a lot of good for one another. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I... 
uh, to me when past agents said that uh, the first thing that came to mind was weird flex but okay i think that's an okay response to your to your <laughs> cg mates to say weird flex but okay but sometimes it's also okay to kind of like affirm them if they if you really know that they are seeking that affirmation yeah if if you if you don't affirm them now right they may look to bigger things brighter things fancier things to kind of look for affirmation which can be a, a bit of a slippery slope lah. so yeah good to affirm the little things yeah so thanks so much for that uh, someone actually commented on it and and basically saying that uh don't let the work consume you and I, I thanks for the comment i really think that's very important to 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 address uh, make sure your priorities are right make sure you you can live without something uh you can live without this affirmation on, the, on something that you're chasing after. So yeah. Oh wait, sorry, that was the wrong question. <laughs> this is the question. How to balance excellence in our jobs versus being too absorbed in our work? Someone answered that question, but maybe, uh, and someone basically said that, yeah, as long as you're not being a workaholic, but or maybe, maybe think about it uh, from a different perspective. What if that person has to put in a lot of hours? Like my wife is a teacher, she has put in a lot of hours. How do you balance the excellence being uh, against being too absorbed with work? So, Pastor King, yeah. Yeah, this is a real challenge. Um, some thoughts come to mind. I hope these thoughts will help. First, um, one consideration is the stage of your career. Stage of your career. At an early stage in your career, to me, the most important thing is build competence. And if it, to me, if it means longer hours, if it means really putting more effort to it to build your competency, build your credibility, yeah, that may be, well be what's needed. So that's, that to me, that's one, one consideration. Which stage of your life are you in, in right now? Of course, for some uh, stage, uh, stage of your life where they have kids and they may even need to, to find, take a job where, which uh, doesn't take up too much of your time, even for some of the ladies, you may take, go on part-time, go on no-pay leave. Yeah, that's, that's, that's important because you're doing something every bit as important. But at certain stages of your career, it's, it's very important for you to build this thing about excellence in your job, build competence. Second thing that helps me, I think, is this whole idea of uh, parameters and boundaries. One thing I like about, uh, you know, we're, we're all supposed to work from home right now, right? But one thing I like about going to work physically, as opposed to working from home, is the commuting. A lot of people don't like the commuting, and I understand that. It's so troublesome, right, to have to go through the whole trouble of having to commute. But for me, commuting forms for me a, a parameters of sorts, boundaries. I have a sense of boundaries. So the person who has no sense of boundaries um, has no wisdom. Wisdom means proper boundaries, good boundaries. Of course, it does. it's not rigidity. When I talk about boundaries, it doesn't mean you are rigid over these things. No, I, I've ever had to, to, to deal with calls in the midst of a, a on, on the platform during a prayer meeting. <laughs> it was a prayer meeting I was leading in worship, you know, and it was uh, coming to midnight and I, have, I, I had to take something work-related and they had to uh, get me to, to, to respond to something. So these things happen. Yeah, um, Sabbath, for example, it's not, a, it's, it's not intended to be something legalistic. It's intended to be a principle that we hold to. So parameters, boundaries, have wise boundaries. 
but uh, don't have to be rigid about them, but must have them. Um, these are two thoughts that come to my mind for now. Maybe more may come later. I um, let's hear from Pastor Adrian first. Wait, wait, before that, before so, what do you what do you do when the when the call came in when you were on stage? <laughs> <I'm just curious. laughs> well, fortunately, I was able to respond to it. I wasn't in like the middle of the song then or something, <laughs> so I was able to respond to that. But um, these things come; they happen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, and sometimes it's situations like this. You just have to trust the the Lord, you know, um, and and go where your your heart feels led by the Lord to do. Uh, maybe just continue the song and you know just uh, respond in a couple of minutes time. There will be always this kind of situation of uh, decisions you have to make. I, I really concur with Pastor King Yao's point about when you, especially if you are starting your uh, at, uh, work in early adult years, you you do need to be prepared to invest a lot of time to grow your competencies. And you almost have to be prepared to work 150% of your normal working hour, 150%, especially in the early parts, because you have to develop your competencies, your um, necessary skill to add value to your the job that you, you, you are given to do, right? And, um, and, and so, be growth oriented rather than be work oriented. What do I mean by that? That means that as you work, be mindful that you are growing as a person. All right. Because the best value you can give to your work, your workplace is um, someone who is continually growing, open-minded, to keep learning, to respond to new situations that come. So you've got to keep growing and not, not stagnate. All right. And be careful that the work will always want to absorb you, right? Which boss doesn't want their worker to work 24-7, right? Correct. So be very careful, especially in a certain culture, there's toxic toxic culture in a uh, work environment that, that really just want to drain you. Um, yeah, be very careful. Guard your own boundaries, guard your own parameters, because ultimately you've got to care for yourself. Do not expect the working place to take care of you. I know this sounds mercenary, all right, but do not expect the working place to take care of you. You've got to take care of yourself. And also be prepared that every five to six years you do change a job. All right. So that particular job may not be there forever. Huh? Uh, but you don't want to choose to be there forever. So there are quite a few things you know, to consider to guide yourself, grow yourself, right? That's very good. Yeah. Uh, I probably will deal with a bit more of this in the next session. This thing about um, committing ourselves to work, work as a place of ministry and uh, a calling. Yeah, so a bit more of this in the third session. Mm, very good. Uh, career advice uh, from two very white-haired people with crowns of glory. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, to me, the, the words that come to mind is uh, hope for the best, expect the worst for those who are going into uh, the marketplace. Uh, there's one person who commented, I'm going to be an early childhood teacher as well. So I completely understand if you have to work long hours. But if you still work when it's not needed to, it's too much. I think the the idea of working when it's not needed to is uh, a bit is a bit of a... You need to gauge that correctly because uh, when not needed to is... If you're doing the bare minimum, I think that's a, a problem. But if you are uh, in that growth mentality, like I'll be reading articles when I'm at the office... Uh, related to my work when I'm free. And I think that's uh, uh, expected, yeah, it's necessary. Yeah, so I think there is a right place to gauge what is needed and what's not needed in the workplace. 
Okay. okay. Uh, Pastor Adrian, you're unmuted. I mute you. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Uh, so we are trying to take a bit more time to address all the questions today because uh, we're not doing a midweek check this week. So we wanted to spend more time before you go into your breakouts. So let's go on to the next question. The next question says, as we become more careful what we're filling our minds with, do you have a rule of thumb to help us separate good from bad? Mm. What kind of music movies apps should we avoid? How strict should we be? So dealing with the grey areas, I think there are a lot of grey areas in media. I, I think a lot of this has to do with yeah, media, so music, movies, apps. And uh, how do we discern? Like So there are, I mean, for example, maybe just to throw one out there, uh, I know Game of Thrones was hotly content, uh, discussed about and whether it's something worth talking about, uh, watching or uh, something, should we watch or not? Or Yeah, and yeah, anyone uh, has any thoughts on that? Okay, I'll start with some thoughts first. Uh, first thoughts that come to my mind. Um, I like it that this question uh, doesn't want to be legalistic. I like it that the questioner doesn't want to say, okay, how many hours should we turn <laughs> on this and how many movies or how many, uh, how, how many times we listen to a song. Yeah, it's, it's not about that at all. It's not about legalism. One thing that I think will help is monitor its effect on you. What is the effect of these things on you? Uh, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it causing you to be able to draw near to God? Or is it hindering you? Like for example, if you to listen to this just before a quiet time, watch this just before you, a time when you want to draw near to God, is it something that helps? Is it something that hinders? Is it just mere recreation? Or is it actually something that fills your mind with something that's negative, that hinders your walk with the Lord? That's one, thing that, one, one question that I think will be good to ask. Uh, of course, here we're not dealing with things that are outright this in full. We're not dealing with things like porn or whatever, those kind of things, example. So those things are obviously um, more than stupid. I mean, and, and, uh, but we're dealing with, with wisdom. How, uh, what are things that are good? What are things that are not good? The other thing that comes to my mind is how do we respond to these things? You see, uh, uh, certain movies in the past, uh, past years, where, where some, some churches may come right out against and say, oh, no, 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 you mustn't watch this movie. This movie is about magic. This movie is about sorcery. And therefore, you mustn't watch this movie. Um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure it'd be so, it should be so absolute about some of these things. I think there's, 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 a, there's a case for watching and even learning some things from it, journaling us and interacting with the Lord over some of those things. Like uh, some movies that, uh, yeah, we even maybe do with uh, sorcery and all. If we think of it as a movie concerning friendship, movie that talks about things that are beautiful, that are, that are not wrong, they're not against the kingdom, well, why not? So we've got to be able to monitor this effect on us. And also, uh, it's, it's partly how we respond to the content as well. Um, if the, a, a movie that can cause us to, to think about various aspects of our life, think about various aspects of, uh, that, that gives us wisdom in how we see various things, could well be something that may even contribute. May even be, it may not even be intended to be good, but it can produce something good in us. So it, it can depend on our response to it. Australian? Yeah, I've got one, one very mature Christian uh, friend who was actually involved in censorship of film. So actually, this Christian has been watch all kinds of film and then do ratings, you know. So if you are in a in a situation like that, right, correct? Well, well, you sh what do you do then, right? 
Um, the student then totally say, I don't want to watch the show. No, uh, I, I just an example because what, what struck me about this person is that first he has inside his heart, all right, certain depth and maturity. He has wisdom. And because he has, he's a very assured of his, uh, his uh, God's love towards him. And uh, he has wisdom. And over the years, he has seen, be able to have the, the, the strength in his heart and the deposit of wisdom from the Lord. He's able actually to contribute to society by doing the rating jobs even, right? Or films that come to Singapore, right? So it's the same thing I would say to us, right? That uh, um, do not be legalistic. Um, what must we first fill our mind? I encourage us to go back to something very simple, which is called quiet time. What do you do in your quiet time? And I encourage you every morning as you wake up, give thanks to God. What can you give thanks to God for? There's so many things. Okay, so just begin your day filling your mind with thankfulness to God. Okay, that's why I will encourage you. Fill your mind with thankfulness for things that you can be thankful for. I know it sounds repetitive, but um, psychologists and many others will tell us that the, the mind who is thankful actually is actually a wiser mind. All right, because when your when our hearts are not thankful, are not filled with the heart of thanksgiving, all right, our hearts actually are very depleted, and then we begin to go to find different things to try and fill our hearts. So we become very bored, and then we say, "Oh, I want to." Whenever we are bored, then there's an internal psychological trigger to say, "Once I'm bored, I will want to watch or listen to certain things." Now, that very music or or or, or app may not be damaging to others, but because of the trigger psychologically in our mind when we have a deficit that kind of music or movie then become damaging to us. So be very careful, all right? So I'll encourage you, begin your, 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 your days filled with thanksgiving for many things that God has given you. Fill your, your heart with, know that God loves you. And then as your heart is full, you will not be seeking have a lot of these things to fill your boredom and your dread. Hmm. So some few uh, words of advice that has been given as a rule of thumb is to monitor your response uh, to see how it impacts you and to also to fill your heart with thanksgiving so that you are uh, pursuing after something greater than, than what is being provided. Yeah, I think those are very good uh, words of advice from both of them. I don't have anything to add. Someone says that uh, someone basically gave a list of recommendations also uh, of their personal convictions. And I think what what is uh, important is really to check your own heart. Uh, it's not a matter of these are my standards, I'm going to impose them on you. Uh, I would say that it's uh, quite a dangerous thing to do that. Yeah, And I think everyone has a... There are some absolutes, but there's a lot of room for navigating the grey and a lot of room for navigating how different people impact differently. Yeah. So just be careful with that. Uh, Pastor Jay, anything to add? You unmuted yourself. Oh, oh wait, no, okay, never mind. <laughs> All right, let me move on to the next question. I think we have time for one or two more. So let me do this one. If we feel we have let ourselves be taken captive, how do we return? Wow, what a wonderful question. How do we return? I'll give you a shot. I think uh, we've got to separate between um, different shades of taken captive. If you are in an addiction, 
and you need to know what is an addiction. Is an addiction means that you are caught in a behavior where you cannot get out by yourself. No amount of telling yourself can get you out of yourself. All right. So if you are taken captive under an addiction category, which is the most severe, right, you almost need to see someone else to help you to get out of an addiction. All right. I, I've seen some very severe ones, and uh, they do need to see someone who is uh, trained, uh, medically trained, even right, psychologically trained, to help a person get out. Another uh, a lesser shade of of uh, of taken captive is not addiction, but what do you call a sense of. Uh, um, a woundedness, uh, a, a woundedness. Maybe, maybe it's a, a certain uh, anger, you not know, like an ang anger, uh, consistent anger and, and rage, uh, certain emotional feelings or certain tendency to, to go certain ways. Um, if the reason, if the reason is because of a sense of uh, a lack or woundedness, yeah, then um, uh, you could actually. Uh, uh, change your own thought pattern, right? Uh, or you see a counsel, or even um, yeah, talk talk to some mature Christians in the church, and uh, they can advise you uh, towards that, right? To so that you're not so taken captive by a certain thought, thinking pattern, um, uh, and uh, a certain kind of emotion. Or very often time, uh, it's our thought pattern, the way we think, that just needs to be adjusted, right, and be set free. And then, yeah, then we'll find a kind of freedom in the spirit. But if you're having addiction, you really can't get out by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, my immediate response was to really, in my heart, applaud this person for asking this question. What a beautiful thing that, uh, uh, first, there's a recognition that, yeah, I may have been taken captive. And you, you don't feel that that's the condition that you want to allow yourself to be in. It's not, not, it's all, not all is lost and you're not resigned to that. You want to think about returning. Um, one thing that I, I definitely affirm what Pastor Adrian has said, one, some, one or two other thoughts maybe also going back to this point of a, what we call the point of, uh, point of departure. That when we have, we're walking along a certain path in the jungle and then we, we, we take a, a wrong path, what do we need to do? You may need to get back onto the right path first, identify the point where you departed, get back to that point, and then uh, resume the course that we were taking. So one thing that's important is look for that point of departure that we had some time back, identify that, go back to that in order to return on the course that we are, we are supposed to be on. Um, another thought that comes to my mind is this, the importance of taking personal responsibility. Um, I've encountered people who have taken, who are actually taken captive, but refuse to take personal responsibility because too occupied with blaming someone else, blaming circumstances that this person is in, blaming another person for causing him to be in that situation. And, and it clouds the entire judgment, helps the person, prevents this person from really seeing reality. So one thing that's very important to me is that willingness to take personal responsibility, which I think this, the person who is asking this question has, and it's wonderful. And just a personal example, um, when I came to Kaplan EFC some years back, I went for a breakthrough weekend. And during that time, the Lord showed me certain um, behavior that I had um, that were, I would say, uh, not good, right? Uh, not good behavior. But more than that, actually, the Holy Spirit um, in the time of prayer brought me back to some primal wound. The primal wounds are those things that happen to us when we are very young. 
a certain uh, pain in the heart um, that uh, a lack or a certain maybe could be some words that are spoken to us that are so deep and dark and painful that from then on we 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 just very pain in the heart and we and we find different ways to 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 medicate you know to medicate the kind of pain and then after a while it becomes an, a, a, a bad behavior or a habit or even can become addictive so the holy spirit talk to the holy spirit and ask the holy spirit to reveal to to us whether there's any primal wound there's something very very deep inside that mm. that um, we we need to uh, uh, be con- confront right confront uh, together with uh, someone who can walk the journey with you quick question someone asked how do you know whether something is a primal wound um usually they they um they they kind of almost captures your heart and then re- repeatedly it, it comes up when it's triggered triggered uh and one big one is called rejection one of the most significant primal wound is uh rejection can be rejection by a friends can be even, even in primary school you know you'll be surprised uh, some people um uh, they feel terribly rejected even in primary, and they remember and they remember and remember those moments mm. Another one would be, of course, um, relatives, relatives rejection. All right. So sometimes aunties and uncles can say some of the most damaging thing. All right. And, uh, and you remember them. And usually primal would, they call primal because they, they are actually when you're very, very young. Yep. I want to add to this. Um, I think the yeah, early childhood memories can be very telling. So if you were to ask someone, what is the earliest memory that you have, which was not positive? Those are things that can be very telling. For me, my earliest, earliest memory that's not positive, uh, earliest memories surrounded this whole idea of rejection. I was in kindergarten then. I mean, how many things, I'm, I'm mid fifties, and how many things in, in kindergarten can I remember, right? But I remember this incident when I was, uh, my mother was supposed to pick me up from kindergarten and for some reason, she was late, and I see everyone being picked up by their parents, and I was there alone. And what the thought that came to my mind is, my mother's not going to come. She's not going to come for me anymore. And I, I sat there, I, somehow I still have this picture of myself. I sat there crying that my, picture, my mother wasn't coming. And well, my mother came <laughs> eventually, and she came and she saw me crying and she was scolding me. So you're crying for what? So stupid. <laughs> but but there, but you see, of all, how many things, um, um, some fifty years ago, can I remember? Right, very few things. But yet somehow I remember this, and I think over the, it, it did have a lingering effect on me. If I were to identify a primal wound in my life, this may well be an indication of one. I think I think it was. Um, that the sold seeds of a uh, tendency towards rejection and uh, and and uh, produce in me the need for validation. All right, uh, I'm conscious of time, but I think we can uh, do one last question. I think we'll end on this last question. Really appreciate all the uh, the comments. Uh, someone says, just know that you are forgiven. Yeah, uh, John says, First uh, John 1.9 says, if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So yes, God has forgiven, but there's still an active personal responsibility that we need to take to step out of it. So yeah, with that truth in your mind, feel free to step, uh, take steps and also to talk to people. I think talking not just to yourself, but if you think that you need help, talk to people that you trust and uh, 
are godly people as well. And sometimes it has to be someone older which you're not so comfortable with, but it helps to have that wisdom when you talk to someone wiser. Uh, one last question before we end is, uh, does God really care much about the kind of job we are in? <laughs> is there a wrong job to be or in or a right job that God would want us to be in? Is there a right or wrong job that God wants us to be in? It's like asking, does, is there a right or wrong uh, spouse or partner for me to marry? <laughs> That's a very good parallel. <laughs> I, I smile at this question because un unfortunately the answer has to be a yes and no. I mean, some, some of the things you just can't answer with a straightforward yes, straightforward no. I'm beginning to sound like a politician. But there's a bit of a yes and no in this. Um, if I'm in a job that is that is I'm not suited for, totally not suited for, but I'm there because of whatever reasons, can that be, end up being a right job for me? depending on my posture towards it, depending on whether I set myself to grow, depending on whether I apply myself fully to learning, entirely possible. Are there jobs which um, are wrong in that uh, are against God's will for me? I once ever had to ask, uh, by the way, this, um, the next session should kind of cover this, lah, but uh, since it's here, let me, let, me, let me take a step at this. I, I was once asked by a young person, he was playing uh, in a band in a uh, something like a nightclub of sorts. A uh, bit hard to describe it and don't want to describe too, too precisely as well. But uh, we can call it like a nightclub of sorts. Uh, something's uh, maybe a little bit shady. Uh, he was playing in a band in a nightclub. So was it, it's, is it the right job? Is it the wrong job? His parents were trying to get him out of it. I hesitated to say that it was clearly wrong and he should get out of it. There's a sense in which, yeah, any, any, any good pastor should tell him, hey, no, no, you, you get out of there immediately. And I can fully understand that. But we don't want to be legalistic over these things. Could it be that for that season, there was some, 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 something he was supposed to learn from there? Of course, I, 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 I didn't think that he was supposed to be there forever, for, for years and decades. No, no, there, there should be a point in time where he should work himself out of that place. But does it mean that he must know you get out of this tomorrow? I didn't necessarily think so. I think even there, there could be a place. Uh, he has already found himself there. What is he to learn from there? How is he to learn to be a Christian witness, to, to be physically there, but to be separate in terms of attitude, separate in terms of aspiration, separate in terms of strength, separate in terms of master? How does he learn to do that even at that place? And if he's there to enable him to learn that, then there's a sense in which that is the right job. Yeah, I, I concur. Yeah, the, the, it should go back to, does God want to grow us at that point in time? All right. Um, so does God really care about whether, uh, which kind of job we are in and what's the next step, where and the time? Yes. And uh, I mean, we, we discussed this actually at our midweek check, but let me show I repeat it here again. Uh, an example will be in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 4, right? Acts chapter 13, 1 to 4, when the Holy Spirit actually said, so and so, go to a particular place now. Yeah. So, and the Holy Spirit sent so and so to a particular place now. So, does, it, does God tell us, is God care enough for us to go? Yeah. 
that different time and different um, space, all right, there, there are certain ways in which God will lead us. Of course, there's also God has given us um, wisdom uh, to, to know when and, and how to, to go about. But does God care? Yeah, He, he does. And uh, it is for uh, good reasons and purposes that uh, He'll call us uh, into the vocation. So I think next week we'll cover more uh, on that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, more extensively. Yeah. One thing that I might add is this whole idea of a divine appointment. In our church, we talk about divine appointment as in like, uh, oh, we, it was unplanned and then I met this person and it turned out to be an opportunity for me to share the gospel, to speak into this person's life, a divine appointment. Serendipitous things that happen unplanned. Could that be, could that happen to our jobs as well? Should it be, should our job be a divine appointment as well? I definitely think so. I, def I definitely think that God is interested enough about our lives to care about the kind of job that we are in. And He wants our jobs to be a divine appointment. And we should aspire to that. We should want our jobs to be a divine appointment so that we know we are there by design, by purpose. We are led into that place so that when things become difficult there, when we, we have a sense of how it's not just like, well, when things are difficult, out I go. No. There might be even be a sense of how the divine appointment in that I am here to accomplish what God wants me to accomplish here in this place, difficult as it may be, this is my place right now for me. So think, think a bit more about this whole idea of a divine appointment, what that means when it comes to the kind of job that you are in. All right. Uh, much to say about uh, finding the right job or wrong job. I think ultimately God is in control and God knows what's best for you. I'm going to end the Q&A now and wrap up with some announcements. Okay, how do I? Okay, here we go. Uh, thank you once again for Pastor King and Pastor Adrian for your, for your sharing. Let me just uh, quickly go through because of the interest of time. Let me just quickly go through some of these uh, announcements about uh, some admin matters and uh, some things to look to be excited for. So firstly, uh, I mentioned last week that we have our Telegram group and uh, you can scan the QR code or you can click, uh, no, you can't click on the link, but you can type out the, the URL t.me slash Westfield Horizon and then you will stay tuned for the latest updates and we, we won't spam you, so don't worry. It will just be uh, one to two updates a month. Hopefully, we can keep to that. <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, we had a midweek check last week, but uh, in the coming few weeks, we won't. Uh, but what instead that will be happening is that we'll be doing something called a talk the walk, where we can, uh, you all are invited to just come in, sit in. You know, it's like a table talk, but it's a virtual table talk. We can have lunch together or we can have supper together to kind of uh, just talk about uh, specific topics like maybe depression or grief and loss. And... Uh, yeah, and it'll be a topical chat and Pastor Adrian will be hosting that one. And this will be open to everyone uh, not, uh, within the district and outside the district as well. Uh, next, uh, you may have received an email from me uh, in uh, about, okay, maybe you received a lot, lah, but or maybe you didn't receive any at all. Please check your junk mail if you have not received anything because it's coming from Eventbrite. Uh, I sent some emails and... Uh, basically, we have recorded our midweek chat last Wednesday and we talked about all these questions you see on the screen. And what you, if you if you don't have time to kind of go through the whole one hour, 15 minutes, uh, you can actually jump to specific questions 
either by timestamps or uh, yeah, you can see the navigation bar at the bottom where there are specific chapters where you can navigate accordingly. So feel free to uh, listen to it. It can be like a podcast. I also upload an audio version so you can listen to it on the go when you're traveling, if you're traveling or if you're showering, if you shower for one hour, maybe. Yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not pointing any fingers, but someone may be showering for an hour and you can listen to a podcast for that long. Uh, yeah, and uh, lastly, some things to uh, look out for. Maybe next week we'll we'll try and consider whether this is uh, something that we want to continue doing, where where we can have uh, some ideas where Covenant as a church can support the young adults a bit more. So, is there an activity you want to see? Is there an event you want to see? Uh, of course, within reasonable guidelines, we can't throw everyone back together in one physical space without the proper social distancing, physical distancing measures. But at the same time, what can we offer to you? How can we help you uh, as a community in, in covenant with all the young adults as well? So j just to end, uh, once again, we've reached the end of the seminar. Please uh, go into your cell groups and uh, go through these questions. I've actually sent a picture of these questions into the WhatsApp chat. So if you open up your chat, you can download it directly. I won't need to throw shade at any of, any of the boomers who are using their cameras <laughs> to, to take photos of your screen. You can straight away just download it in your chat, in the Zoom chat. And yeah, just the same questions that Pastor, uh, Pastor Kenya has mentioned before. Just go through them. You don't need to go through all of them, but see where the discussion leads and just, uh, just feel free to share openly if there's something that you're struggling with if there's something you need to talk to uh, if there's something that you need to work on like fill your mind right or take responsibility or speak to yourself something that practical that you need to do feel free to share and we trust that in the group there's accountability there's confidentiality and there is trust to keep what each other going so with that we thank you for being here uh, for those who have no groups, you're welcome to stay behind and we'll have some open groups here to discuss and chat even further. For the rest of you, thank you so much. Bless up y'all and for those who are uh, going to your groups, please uh, join your, your calls according to your CGs. Yeah. If not, God bless. Take care. And we will see you next week. Thanks, Dion. See you, Dion. Bye, Christopher.